Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. Savings sometimes is used interchangeably with this idea of investing, and they're both forms of saving. I think very fundamentally, at at its most basic level, the idea of saving is putting something away in a safe place to be used at another time. Investing is kind of the same idea, putting it away, but when I invest, I'm saving with the expectation to make more money so I can invest in the stock market or a mutual fund or into a business. Welcome back to the Building Us podcast, a show all about love, money, and relationships. This is Dr. Matt Morris, family therapist and couples counselor, here as always with my friend and colleague, Eric Garcia, financial planner, financial expert, and current holder of a piggy bank. How's it going, Eric? My piggy bank is empty, Matt. It is empty. There's nothing in it. Can you see? This is an audio show. I'm sorry. You have to check the uh, image on our Facebook page. Uh, but the piggy bank is empty. I'm good, Matt. How are you? I am doing all right. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that your piggy bank is is empty. Before we get into that, though, I just want to say, acknowledge that uh, it's the end of 2020. A few more weeks left in the year. A few more weeks until the holidays. Uh, this is a time of year that I love. Um, you know, living in New Orleans is 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 beautiful in a lot of ways. The uh, The holiday season here is beautiful. The city's decorated very lovely, It's but it's a very odd year. Um, and so I think we're all kind of celebrating the end of 2020 as much as the holidays that are approaching. Um, are we I, in the holidays? Like the holidays already started. Yeah. I started celebrating the holidays with yeah, pecan to, pie on Thanksgiving Day. Today it is... 70 degrees in New Orleans, so it, it's un, unseasonably warm. Um, and holidays, for me, I always incorporate as being cool or colder. It's not cold. So like uh, February, that's your holiday in New Orleans? <laughs> well, I just get out of town. I go this somewhere else. This is seasonably else. warm for, I mean, this is seasonably normal for New Orleans this time of year. I, I am trying to have a holiday mindset, even if it doesn't feel like the holidays. And I think that's really important right now is that we take time to be grateful and appreciative of all the things that are are good in our lives right now. Um, And I think that that is uh, one of the best things that we can give each other this holiday season is some appreciation there. Matt. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. I I appreciate appreciate that word. Actually. I think that's good. You know, in fact, something that I've kind of been saying since the holidays started on Thanksgiving, and something that I'm trying to be intentional about is looking for something every day just to, to be grateful for and to be thankful for and looking for opportunities in every day. 2020, like you said, it's been an odd year. We've been dictated so much by like outside forces. Mm-hmm. And now we're almost like looking for like crap and bad stuff and just say, oh, it's 2020. Oh, it's 2020. Like we're, we're waiting to be dictated to. And I'm going to flip the script for the rest of the year. And I'm going to dictate to the year and be positive and look for 
good things. Yeah, 2020. This is what I'm thankful for. Yeah, fool. Yeah. Fool. Yeah, fool. I like it. In fact, in fact something that we're both excited about that our listeners should be excited about as well, we're going to kick 2021 off with a mini-series called The Next Normal. A medium-sized mini-series. About how medium sized is is mini or medium mini? I think it's about six episodes. Six episodes, so it's six weeks or a month and a half worth of amazing content. And here's what we're doing: we are we are taking this idea of kind of dictating, taking taking back control over our time and taking back control over certain aspects of our life. We're going to get uh, really amazing top-level, top-shelf guests to talk about different issues such as your health, your spirituality, your money. Uh, for our business owners out there, we're going to talk about your business. Uh, yeah. We're talking about your habits. We're going to revisit habits because it's such an important part of um, of all of this stuff. Uh, we're excited about it. We, we really do have some pretty, pretty high-power guests. Yes, this is the next normal, 2021. The next normal. So subscribe right now on your favorite podcast app, or podcast listening app so that you will get it first on every Thursday morning. Our episodes drop. You wake up and it's right there ready for your commute to your dining room or wherever your commute is these days. Commute to upstairs. So what we got today, man? What are we doing? Well, a little something different today. Um, I like different. It's just you and I. And there, there are many times in my week or month where I have a finance question that is just burning. Do you have something like this? Do you ever wonder about relationships or therapy? Burning questions about relationship or therapy. No, I, I got it all figured out. I got it I all know figured you out. Do. I know you I do. I got it all figured out. So as a, a little different uh, episode today, I'm going to pose to you a money question. Okay. And uh, pick your brain for a little bit about a money question, and in a in the in a coming episode, an episode coming up very quickly, you're going to return the favor. So today, we're going to be talking about a money question, but in the future, I'm going to ask you a question in a couple of weeks. Just so our listeners know, though, you're going to ask me a difficult question about: mm. Is marriage a straitjacket? Ooh, what is marriage a ball and chain? Ooh. And I'm going to try to figure that out between now and then. Ooh, Today a we have a we have a different topic, uh, which is why in the heck is saving money so hard? Why is it so hard for all of us to save money? <sighs> that is a great question. And ironically enough, you introduced it as a question that's just just burning. Like it's like money that burns holes in our pocket, right? Because we mm. spend. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's simple it's answers. We just spend. We want to spend. Like that fancy shirt you're wearing, that thing looks expensive, man. Mm. Thank you. Did you pay off of that? Not everyone can see. I, I do have a shirt on. I'm fully clothed. That's, that's a win. <laughs> Does that not happen regularly nowadays? Well, you know, Is that... Everybody working from home, we don't know what okay. people are really wearing. But you're wearing like, a shirt that looks expensive. I. It, it may look expensive uh, from your side. I don't know what this costs, but thank you. I appreciate the compliment. It looks nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. And it's yeah. the holiday season. We are spending lots of money. It's very easy for me right now to spend money. I like to buy gifts for my family. I like to buy gifts for people. So it's a, it's an easy time to let money fly. 
why is it so hard to save? Man, because it's, it's probably so hard to save because it's so easy to spend. Mm. It's such a simple answer. I know we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of break this down a little bit, but man, at the end of the day, it is just so easy to spend, isn't it? It is. I remember growing up, um, you know, my, my parents were good, good pictures of, of I mean, they were financially responsible. And we didn't, I don't remember talking a lot about money, but there's one lesson that my dad always shared, and it still resonates with me. And he actually, he's, he still, it probably still resonates because he actually still verbalizes it and tells me. He says, son, if you make $5, spend three, save two. You never know when you're going to need that two. Right. So this idea, I mean, really, really simple, right, is spend less than you make and you have something to save. But I think when, when you break it down, it's just so easy to spend. Yeah. So that makes it really hard to save. In fact, let's, um, let's listen. I, you know, when you pose this question to me, uh, I decided to actually ask that question to a handful of people. Uh, why is it hard to save? And then on the flip side, uh, what makes it easy for you? to save, because this is really what we want to talk about today. So uh, let's take a listen real quick to that. One reason why it's hard to save money is because you're tempted to buy the stuff you want instead of the things you actually need. Life's really expensive, you know, especially when you have kids. They always want things and it's hard to deny them. We often in today's times feel like we deserve things, that we work hard, we go to work all day. I deserve to get the nicest cell phone. I deserve to have a nice car. I deserve to have a nice house. We're unwilling to be patient. We're unwilling to wait. We want what we want, whether we deserve it or not. We want immediate satisfaction. That's hard to overcome, especially with today's marketing and just looking at the people around you on the service, they look like everything is going perfect. They have everything that you want. However, underneath, they're a financial nightmare. In my personal experience, in my family, nobody was ever able to enjoy that money in retirement. They died early. They had very little time to enjoy it. There were health issues where they lived a long time, but their quality of life wasn't great. So they really never got to enjoy retirement either. So my mindset is I want to use it in the now. I don't want to save so much money that I forget to make the most of my now time because now might all be might be all I have. And maybe that's not the right way to approach it, but I can't help it. It's, you know, even as, as old as I am now, I still feel that way. I hate putting it away for retirement because it's like, well, what if I don't ever get to that point? You know, I would have sacrificed for nothing. One reason why it's easy to save money is because you are aware of the goals that you want to achieve in life. So you save up to buy or achieve that goal. 2020 has been challenging as far as saving money. However, my family and I have been able to save money during the past seven to eight months because of the plan that we put in place back in January. One of the things that we were able to do is go back and look at that plan in April and see what areas we could cut out. And once we were able to decide what we were able to cut out of, of our budget and what we had planned for for the year 2020, we were able to take that additional income and be able to save that money. We've been able to adjust our budget, adjust our spending habits. We didn't take our traditional summer vacation and we were able to use those monies and put aside. My grandfather always talked about the fact that he wanted to have the assets of a million dollars before he passed away and he achieved that goal. Um, that always resonated in my mind ever since I was 10 years old. But the exposure to just hearing that changed the way I thought forever, even though I really grew up in a maybe 
middle income to just below that. I always knew I could do better. I always wanted to save. Cool. So, so do you need me anymore? I mean, that, <laughs> that, that answered it. No, so really cool that our listeners uh, gave some insight into why it's so hard to save and what makes saving easier. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to a few of those responses. Really interesting. And I want to thank them for that. Um, just, but just as we get into this, from a kind of technical sense, what is savings? Why do we do it? Yeah, so when I talk to people, well, typically savings sometimes is used interchangeably with this idea of investing. And they're both forms of saving. So I think very fundamentally, at, at, like at, the, at, its, at its most basic level, the idea of saving is putting something away in a safe place to be used at another time. Obviously, that's something that we're talking about here is money, like my empty piggy bank. I'm going to put money away safely in my piggy bank, safely in my bank account to use it at some other point in time. Investing is kind of the same idea. I'm putting it away, but when I invest, I'm saving with the expectation to make more money so I can invest in the stock market or a mutual fund or into a business. Um, the expectation is this money I'm putting in aside, I'm spending it in essence with an expectation of a return. So they're both forms of saving. I'm putting money aside for some future purpose. So put, putting money in a piggy bank, for instance, as a kid might do, uh, mm -hmm. is putting money away in a safe place, place to be used at another time. And it relates to what you said initially it's hard to save because it's so easy to spend. And, and something like a piggy bank makes it a little harder to spend. You have to open the piggy bank. You have to, oh, ex yeah. you have to extract the money. You have to, it's not as easy just to spend it. Um, yeah, I love know, putting, uh, we'll talk about that later in the show, but I love putting the idea of putting uh, distance or obstacles, especially mm -hmm. if you don't have much discipline, putting obstacles, making it, making it difficult for you to access your savings. Um, as some of our listeners uh, told us, right? Because I just want it now. Well, if I can't access my money now, then maybe that impulse of wanting it now will, will fade. Yeah. And, and putting money in a piggy bank is not an investment in that there's no expectation that that money's going to make you more money while in the piggy bank. The only expectation is it's going to be there when I need it. When my yeah. AC breaks on you know, the middle of December when it's 100 degrees outside and I need to replace it, I've got it there. It's put away in a safe place. It's ready to be spent. Yeah, I don't think I grew up learning that. Uh, I'm not in any way knocking my parents or anything like that because I think we saved money as a family for things that we needed. But I don't remember personally, like, oh, put money away for when you're... When you blow a tire, you'll have money to uh, get your tire fixed. Or um, I can remember in high school playing tennis. I, I was on the tennis team. And from time to time, I broke a racket or broke strings. And it you know, it costs a little bit to get your racket restrung. I don't remember saving money for putting money away in a safe place so that when, when I needed it in the future, it was there. You, you know, when I first wrote my, um, my e-book, and you, you may remember this, uh, when I first wrote my e-book, and I talk about, and you've heard me talk about it here on the show, and you and I have talked about this. I talk about three types of savings, short-term, mid-term, and long-term savings. So mm -hmm. what we're talking about right now is that emergency funds, that, that short-term saving account that should be safe and secure. You shouldn't have to worry about 
market volatility or, or anything happening to it. Floods or hurricanes or yeah. fires or storms. It's, it's there. You know where it is. It's at the bank. Um, there's an expectation that it's going to be there. I actually called it my oh crap account. And that's how I actually wrote it in. It's the oh crap account. Oh crap, the air broke. However, yeah. the uh, a friend of mine who edited the, um, she's an attorney and she edited the um, the ebook for me or, or the book and she's like, you know, that's just not professional. You should change it. So I changed it. Just a good old boring emergency fund. Is that? I gave it, in. Oh my, oh my gosh. Emergency. It's my, oh my, it's, a, it's like my, oh my goodness account. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm, I'm hearing though, there's like two kinds of short-term savings. There's one in which you're trying to save up to buy something like, uh, and I think I did experience that as a kid. Uh, I want a new video game and it's too expensive for my allowance. So I'd have to save up my allowance. That's different from the emergency fund, which is, oh my goodness, something bad happened and I need to pay for it. My video game system broke and I now need to get it fixed. Two different kinds of short-term savings. Yeah, you know, and you're talking, I actually think it makes, I actually think it becomes really helpful to think about this topic from a kid's perspective. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, because um, as adults, if we're teaching this, it's so easy for us, especially the, even if you're not a good saver, most adults can sit down with a kid and say, you know, um, if you take better care of your stuff, it won't break because if it breaks, you have to buy a new one and you know how long you'd have to save money to buy a new one. So like as adults, it's very easy for us to talk to, to kids about this idea of putting money aside. Yeah. Uh, so I, th I think that to think about it from that perspective actually becomes uh, very helpful for, for us to, to, and I don't even say comprehend because I mean, I don't, I, I rarely talk to people who don't see the value in saving. Um, even, even if you listen to what one of our listeners said, this idea of, I don't like to save because my, my family didn't get to enjoy it. But there was also this, like, we, we still save for retirement. There's like this, I, I know I need to do it, but I don't like to do it. Yeah. It, which leads to your question is why is it so hard? As, as we turn back to that and get into that, remind us again of those different saving categories. What, when, uh, kids may be very basic and have a one piggy bank for all their savings, but for, for adults, what kind of savings do I need? Yeah. So I, I like to think of these three, these three, um, uh, buckets of money, if you will, I actually have an illustration and they're actually a little coffee mug since I like coffee so much. Mm. Uh, so these three coffee cups of savings. So you have your short term savings, which I typically will say is the zero to next two years, you might need it. So like you said, I'm saving up for something specific, a down payment on a house uh, to start yeah. to launch a business. You want this you want this stuff safe and secure. You don't want it exposed to, to too much volatility. But this also deals with the, emer the oh my goodness account, your emergency funds that you don't want them exposed to a lot of risk. You want them there when you need them. Um, and this yeah. this depends on different people about how much you need to have there. And I don't, you know, I, I'm not one of those people who think there's an exact number. I think there's a comfort level. To me, there's a range of what someone should have. And as a general rule of thumb, I'll say three to six times your your expenses of what it costs you to live is what you should have in a short term account. Um, and then on the opposite side is your long term savings. This is what a lot of people think about uh, for retirement. This is your money that's put away for far into the future. It could be 10 plus years out. Typically, you're going to have that money invested in some form of security, equities, or, or bonds, stocks, mutual funds, ETFs. It's in your 401k. It's in an IRA. 
Uh, you can take more risk with it. Uh, when you take more risk, you have more reward. So that's that's that investing. Um, my expectation is this uh, this money that I put into this will grow and earn more money in the future. Um, and then that what I call midterm account is man, I've I've funded my short term savings and I'm funding my uh, retirement account sufficiently, but I have more money that I want to do something with. What do I do with it? And I call it a midterm account to where if you're going to invest it in the stock market, you might take different types of risk than you do in your retirement account, but I still want it growing. I don't want it sitting idle in the bank um, and I don't want to spend it. I still want to put it aside because mm-hmm. college may be you know, 15 years out for my kid or I'm going to have to replace my car one day, but not in the next zero to two years and I don't want it sitting idle. I want it to do something. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I call a midterm account. All right. That's very helpful. I, just as an aside, uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but my kids one time heard you talking about retirement accounts and, and compounding interest and interest. So they came to me and they said, we want, I want a retirement account. These are their kids. And so we set them up a retirement account essentially. And, and they put a, a, a fraction of their allowance into their retirement account each, every other week. Uh, and they won't be able to get to this money or they, they don't, have plans to access this money for like 50 or 60 years. Yeah. They said, they said it, um, they said aside for the long term. That's really cool. And the earlier you start, uh, man, we, we'll do this another show talking about compound interest. That's, that's for another show. So, uh, we, we now understand the importance of saving different kinds of saving. Uh, let's get back to this idea of why is it so hard? Uh, you've been talking lately about something that you're interested in, uh, behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it gets a little bit more, uh, a little bit more, um, multidisciplinary, your work and my work kind of come together a little bit more and trying to understand why people do what they do. How, how do our emotions, how do our biases, how do our assumptions, how does our family of origin history, um, influence our, our saving behavior in this case. And, and so behavioral finance is, an understanding that we're not robots, that we do things based on emotion. We do things based on uh, uh, preconditions, um, assumptions, and history. Mm-hmm. And so when when we start thinking about saving behavior or non-saving behavior from a behavioral finance perspective, it gets a little bit more interesting. Um, so I, I'd like to ask you some behavioral finance questions, if that's all yeah. right. Yeah, that's cool. I knew we so, were talking about savings. I don't know what these questions are going to be, so hopefully I can answer them. So why is it so hard for people to save? One one reason relates to opportunity cost, I think. This is a behavioral oh. finance term. Yeah, yeah. So economic. I, it's, actually, I, it's an economic term. Economic um, term. Yeah, yep. you take the behavior out because we look at opportunity cost in, in business, and, and essentially what that is is I have money to spend. There's different things I can spend it on if I spend it on – uh, well, let's use a real life. How about we use a real life example for, um, for, for opportunity cost? What's that? For kids. For kids. No, I want I want to talk about real life example for adults. Right. What about that one? How about that? We we um, we in our one of our recent episodes we talk about coffee, and how coffee can just interrupt our long term savings because it's just so expensive. Right, I'm gonna drop five dollars a day. So we look at opportunity cost and say I just spent five dollars on a cup of coffee. The opportunity cost is what else I could have done with that money. 
right? So we think about $5, what's the opportunity cost? Not much, right? What am I gonna do with $5? But $5 a day, every day for 40 years, then you start to look at that opportunity cost to understand like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. That could have gone a long way towards something that I value, i.e. retirement, or um, to buy a bigger house for my family. And that becomes yeah. the opportunity cost. Yeah, and in a, in a recent podcast episode, you gave this example. I think you said that if you spent $5 a day daily for 40 years on coffee, uh, if you didn't spend it on coffee, and if you invested it, how much would you have? And and I think you said five hundred thousand dollars. It was a big number. So the, now, so the now uh, I, just wanna, I also want to say, yep, I want to say this again. I am a coffee drinker. I love coffee. I am not telling anyone right now to not drink coffee. I think it's just something that we have to be aware of when we spend. It's robbing us the ability to do something else with that money, that opportunity cost, which could be saving. So if we're not saving, and we have a lot of these habits of buying little small things regularly over time. It costs us a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it this way for opportunity costs. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And that no, yep. that no is important too. So if you're saying yes to coffee, you're saying no to something. If you're saying yes to saving the money, you're saying no to something else. And that no is important also. And, and just being aware of both sides of that equation is important. So let's go back to your kids who are yep. putting money a fraction of their allowance, they're saving it. And I, I don't know the exact numbers, what they're doing, but over 50 years, they're going to have a ton of money because they're putting away small amounts of money. It's not just the fraction of the allowance that they're putting away. That's not, that's not just the opportunity cost. The opportunity cost is the next 50 years of interest yeah. that that money's going to earn. That's the actual cost. If you put it in that perspective and you frame it from that perspective. Yeah, so if they took that money and spent it at the store like they would probably prefer to do, the opportunity cost is all of that growth potential that they've lost out on. Yeah, yeah. I, get, I can get the satisfaction of 30 minutes of having another snowball, mm -hmm. or, man, I can retire at 40. So, so one reason that saving is so hard is because of opportunity costs. We have to, in saying no to, to spending now, we're having to live with discomfort now. We're having to live with um, not doing something we'd like to do now. Yeah, and that goes back to what you were talking about, behavioral economics, right? Like I wanna give in to, um, I wanna give in to what I want now. Like we, we, we heard one of our listeners talk about this idea that I deserve this. I work hard for this and I'm going to buy it now and I'm impatient and I can't wait and I'm going to buy it now. Yeah. So there's one that. of the dad, one of the dads said, uh, kids want things and it's hard to tell them no. Yeah. And so in telling them, no, you have to deal with their disappointment. You have to live with them complaining about it. And that that's part of the cost. Yeah. It's, 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 um, it's instant gratification, right? One of the one of the people that we're going to be talking about in the next normal, uh, when we talk about your money, this is something that she talks a lot about is this idea of uh, we look around us, this idea of social indifference. As humans, we look around us and we see, man, Matt's got a, a fancy shirt. I want to 
I want a fancy shirt like that. I'm going to go buy me a fancy shirt. A shirt upgrade. Yeah, I'm going to go. And, and, but we don't do it with shirts. We do it with, I want to live in that neighborhood. Yeah. You know, interest rates are low. I can afford. I can afford that house. Or we do it with cars. Like, man, I need a new truck. You really need a new truck? Yeah, I need a new truck. And, and I mean, trucks are as expensive as as foreign cars these days. You know, I want to I want to trick out. Here's a good example of opportunity cost. Man, I'm going to buy a new truck. I'm also going to buy like like two trim models up that I normally would buy because interest rates are so low, but it's still going to cost me more money. That yeah. opportunity cost, that cost on those extra trims costs me in, in my inability to save. Yeah. Uh, another aspect of, it, it seems like that it complicates savings for most people is that saving, especially retirement saving, it's just so dang far away. I mean, I need the money now, right? I need stuff now. I had a friend uh, two weeks ago who whose fridge refrigerator went out mm-hmm. and she needed the money now. There's that future self, future needs versus present needs thing that makes saving really difficult. Yeah, we heard one of our listeners say, again, this idea like her family, a lot of people in her family did not have the opportunity to enjoy the money that they saved because of early yeah. deaths or sicknesses or, or those types of things. So like, I want to enjoy it now. Like, who knows where I'll be in 20, 30, 40 years. You could die anytime. Could. You can you can't take it with you when you go. I hear people say these kind of things a lot, uh, and you know me. You know me. My, I value doing things together as a family, traveling, vacations. We did a whole episode on vacations. I value spending mm-hmm. money in the now, but uh, I'm, that my present me is competing against the future me. How do you, how do you yeah how do you th- balance this, that? This is where financial planning. This this is what financial planning is all about, quite frankly. It's sitting down, it's understanding uh, what your values are, what's important to you, right? You value family time, you value traveling. Okay, how much do you wanna spend on travel? Well, you've got a number. Okay, that might dictate to you some other decisions that you make. As we heard one of our listeners talk about this idea of, hey, we had to sit down and review our budget and we had to cut some things out of our budget, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very conscious decision to cut something to be able to afford something that you value. The worst thing is you spend a lot of money on something that ultimately in the long run doesn't fulfill you, doesn't align with your values. You bought it because it was an impulse buy or you felt like you needed it, but you really didn't need it. Um, so that's a, that's a powerful thing. It seems like another thing that makes saving really hard for people is that they just don't have the skills to do it. They're not that great at money management anyway. They're not real clear on where their money Mm. is, where it goes, how it, you know, it just seems to fly out of their bank account every month. Uh, I've been there. I know Um, that we don't have, we may not have the skills in, in financial management, financial planning. Uh, You know, we're going to, we're going to talk in the next normal about, household CFOs, maybe we don't have our finance degree. Mm-hmm. And so we just didn't learn these skills. How, how does that play into an inability to save? I, th- I think that's a big part of it. I think habits um, are, whether, whether we have the skill or not, I think we default to what's easiest, right? That's what our, our brains, that's what our brains do. Our brains try to conserve energy by not having to think about anything. So we just we just default to those easy patterns, uh, whether we've learned 
them from our families or whether we've learned them on our own, but what is easiest and, and saving is a skill, as you said it. And the only way sometimes to get better at a skill is to practice it, mm-hmm. is, is to and, do it. And get some coaching and then practice. So you and practice maybe get the right some coaching. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's a YouTube video on how to save better. We were going to give you some tips here in a few minutes. Um, but skills take time to develop. There's, there's tactics that you can do to um, hold yourself a little bit more accountable to this idea of savings. But yeah, you have to develop skills. And if you don't develop them, you're, you're, you might be bad at it. Yeah. Um, I've said this lots of times, but we're, I don't know where people are learning these skills these days. I don't know where, uh, what class people are taking, where they're gaining these skills. If they're not getting them at home, they're, they're defaulting to just some habit they've developed. Another mm-hmm. aspect of, from behavior, uh, behavioral finance is inhibition control is I, 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 I have a, an impulse or a desire. I want something right now and I don't allow myself to, to grab it in that moment. You, we've talked in the, in previous episodes about that, uh, marshmallow experiment from Stanford mm. about putting the marshmallow in front of the kid, telling the kid, don't eat it. Uh, if you can wait, I'll give you two mm-hmm. and seeing if they can control their impulse. Yeah. It's instant. Grat- I mean, that's a, that's a, a, you know, a classic experiment on instant gratification. Here's versus something you delayed really, gratification, which savings versus delayed. Yeah. That's right. So here's something you really want, but Hey, if you can sit still and not eat it for 15 minutes, I'm going to give you two of that. And then mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the experimenter would walk out of the, the room and they'd watch these kids. They say that they followed these kids after the experiment. And the, the, I don't know. I'm, you know, you're, you're a status, not a statistician, but you, I mean, you, you, you do research like this. I don't know how, how validated it is, but they say the kids that exhibited delayed gratification, in other words, they did not eat the marshmallow were more successful, um, financially. They held their jobs longer and, and the, uh, all, this whole slew of, of positive, positive things. So I think that's a big thing. And we, we talk about this, and this gets into your space a little bit, and this is a big part of behavioral economics and behavioral finance, is when we're presented with something, some form of stimulus, a marshmallow, a fancy car commercial, a really cool-looking shirt, right? Um, our, our emotions respond. Now, they say that our emotions respond within 12 milliseconds once we're exposed to something. However, the thought center, the, the part of our brain that we use to logically think through things, they say it takes 40 milliseconds to engage that part of the brain. So what tends to happen is our emotions, our emotions happen before we, we think. Like, like I was thinking about this the other day, um, the idea of like I was so angry I couldn't think straight. Right? We've all said that. That's a really good example of our emotions acted first. We were so emotional we couldn't access the thought part, of the, the thinking center of our brain. So if we're not good at kind of curtailing that impulse and making the decision like, yeah, I really want that car. I'm saying car. Yeah, I really want that. Fill in the blank with whatever it is that um, that that you want to buy. You're giving in to that emotion um, and that's that instant gratification as opposed to saying, yeah, you know, I really want that, but maybe I can't afford it right now, but maybe I need to sit down and, and plan for it before I go buy it and putting some distance between the emotion of wanting something and the actual buying of it. And that's getting, that seems to be getting harder 
in that things are easier to buy when you want them. I can buy most things from my pocket, from my phone. Like I, I, I laugh sometimes. I could adopt a kid on my smartphone these days. I've got a friend uh, whose kid accidentally ordered uh, four tires. <laughs> like they were playing, they were looking for something on cars. And yeah. I don't know if it was on eBay or what, but like they, they straight up bought four tires. <laughs> um, they were able to connect with the, the seller and say, hey, look, I'm really sorry my kid did that. But like this is like a, a four-year-old kid like bought yeah. $1,000 worth of tires online. So it's, it's even easier to react on impulse or spend on impulse than it may have been. Like, you know, if you wanted ice cream and at some point you had to drive to the store and, and buy it and they, they might be closed. And so you might have to wait till tomorrow. Now you can order it and it'll show up at your door in a few minutes. Just like there's actually a commercial right now on Google on this very thing looking for a takeout nearby and they take them to an ice cream shop three blocks away. Oh, wow. Yeah. Another it, it thing, has become easy. Yeah. I know that saving is not equally easy for everyone in that they don't, not everyone has the same income. And so there's, there's a, there is a limit on how much you can save if your, your income is beneath your living expenses or, or, uh, right at your living expenses. Let me tell you a quick story about this. Mm -hmm. I used to counsel a group of, of clients who were wonderful, but they, they, were, they had very low incomes. And uh, most of these people in um, right after Katrina had harrowing stories of um, being evacuated from the city and not, not having a way to get out of the city themselves, not having the finances, the means to, evacuate themselves and having to rely on basically the government to evacuate them. And they didn't know where they were going. They ended up all over the state or all over the South. Um, once they arrived to their, their evacuation center, uh, they were kind of at the mercy of the place and they didn't have a way to change that. They just didn't have enough money. And so part of our goal in our group was to, and, and this is, this was a mental health group. This is not about, money or finances or savings, but part of, part of their distress over that whole situation was motivating them to change things. So it wasn't the same way next time. Um, and so part of the goal of the group began to be, let's save up some money so that we can get ourselves, we have a little bit more control next time this happens. And so I remember the group coming up with this goal for each person to save up $200 in cash so that they could afford to buy some gas and get out of town or pay somebody to take them out of town or pay for a hotel for the night if they needed to. Um, and $200 seemed like an extreme amount of money for, for most of these folks. They did not have 200 in cash. And so they usually chipped away at this like a dollar or two a week. It would be like not going and buying a Coke or, uh, you know, a, a cold drink, as we say here in New Orleans, not buying a cold drink this week and using that dollar to put into their, their sock, their savings sock, or um, not purchasing a bus token that day, but walking those, that mile and a half. I mean, it, this, these were significant opportunity costs, but they were motivated because of the terrible experiences they had in evacuation. And so even in that crowd of people who had very low income without me requiring that they save money, they were motivated to find some extra income to save. 
and they were able to save up $200. And then it expanded from 200. Some of them wanted, let me, let me try to save mm-hmm. up a thousand. Let me see if I can repeat this process a few times. But income does factor into savings, particularly this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if I don't have money, I can't save. Or if all of my money is being tied up in debt service, right? Paying credit cards off, then I can't save. So there, there's that reality of you got to have resources available to be able to save. Now, the question is, am I able to, um, am I able to find resources? Why do you find resources? Well, I have to start making some decisions, some tough decisions to not buy that cold drink, to be able to save money, to maybe not, um, you know, buy two trims up on the new vehicle or, you know, for me, this is something I challenge myself. I used to go to coffee shops and I would get a, you know, I'd get a latte and a muffin. Right. And it was easy. I'd use my credit card, seven bucks, no big deal, whatever, five bucks, however much it was. Then I realized that one day I was like, Hey, I'm spending a lot of money on, on coffee. Um, this is crazy. So I still buy coffee. I enjoy it, but I'll buy a, just a, a black iced coffee or just, just a regular drip coffee and spend three bucks on a cup instead of mm-hmm. six bucks. So there's some, some, dis- I, I had to find those resources to be able to and, do that. And is that, you know, in my experience of working with clients, most of my clients these days have have a substantial income or have um, significant income. Um, and But many of them talk about not being able to save because they're spending all of their money or more than they're making on their, their life. Is that your experience too, that most of the people that you work with could save if they made some lifestyle changes? Yeah, I'm going to tell you, this idea of I can't save because I don't have resources is not uh, um, is not something that people who make a little bit of money can claim on their own. I have talked mm-hmm. to people who make a boatload of money and their money is tied up in really expensive cars and really expensive purses and really expensive vacations. And even though um, I can't afford my credit card bill, I'm still going to take this $10,000 vacation. And it's, 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 it's not necessarily people who don't make money are the ones yeah. who can't save. And it's this, again, it's this idea of overspending. I can make a million dollars a year, but if it costs me a million two to live, yep. I'm going the wrong direction. I can make $50,000 a year. If it takes me $45,000, I can make 50,000 a year. If it takes me $45,000 to live, I can save a lot of money. Yeah, it, It's simple math. And this building your- wealth, sure. If I make more money, I can potentially save more than you. Okay. Uh, I get that. That, that makes, that makes sense. Um, but building wealth has less to do with what you make and more about spending less than you make. Yeah. Yeah. Like your dad said, if you make $5, save two. Yeah. And, and two, it depends on what am I saving for? What am I saving towards? That's part of the equation. Like, Saving for the sake of saving, to me, makes no sense. Saving because, man, if a hurricane comes through and I need 200 bucks to get out of town, makes sense. Saving because one day I'm not going to be able to earn money the way I am and I'm going to have to like support myself, makes sense. Yeah. So 
that that's part of the question is what am I saving towards attaching purpose to to the savings is important to me. Yeah, as as an as an aside, this is kind of a side topic, but saving or amassing with no purpose and no plan for that can get really close to hoarding quickly. Uh, if you're if you're going back to your original definition of saving, you know, if you're putting something away in a safe place to never be used at another time, that's getting close to, to hoarding. And if you're doing that compulsively, uh, that is hoarding. And, and I, I've seen people hoard money. They, they have stacked up so much money that they never intend to use. Um, or, or their joy comes from just having the money, not from using the money to, to uh, make memories or, or bless others or build relationships or invest in their relationships, none of that stuff. You know, I had a, I had a, um, someone call me the day and this, this was kind of one of those things where, you know, sometimes when, when you give advice and you give counsel, sometimes you get to see the, the, the fruit of your, oftentimes I get to see the fruit of my labor, but very rarely do you hear like people just thank you or verbalize something. I had a client call and they said, you know, something I learned from you and, and they were, they were, they were buying an experience for their spouse. Mm. Right. And what they said was, if there's one thing I like that I've it, learned by the way, you, that that sounds great as a couples counselor. They're buying an experience. I am buying this trip for my spouse because it's something that they enjoy. And you said that we should spend our money on experiences. And I thought about that. I'm like, I, thought, I said, thank you so much for sharing that. That that it made my day to hear that. Yeah. That's so awesome. we're not so advocating. You, we're not advocating. Don't anyone misunderstand us. We're not advocating not spending just to save. Uh, what I advocate all the time is spend money in a, in a way that's aligned with what's important to you. It's aligned with your values. And what I see regularly is middle-aged people sit in front of me saying, oh, I wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have saved started saving 20 years ago. And what that tells me is the 20 years of spending money on things that they don't even know what they spent it on were wasted on things that did not align with their values. Now, they might've enjoyed it. I'm not saying they wouldn't have enjoyed it. I'm not saying like taking an expensive trip isn't enjoyable, but sometimes that wears off fast when you have the credit card, when you're still paying the, the, that off three years later at 20% interest. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, good word. Appreciate that. So let's turn our attention now to what can what can couples what can people do what can families do to to save to make the saving process easier where do you want to start with that i said first thing first thing even before you you open an account now you might already have an account you might be putting a little bit of money here and there but first thing you should do is sit down and figure out what your values are and why you're trying to save mm. it may be obvious i'm saving because i want to retire one day okay well i think it's very important to set that as a goal to write it to, to yeah. verbalize it, to say it, to attach, to start attaching purpose to very specific accounts. So I'll talk to people and they're like, yeah, I'm contributing to my 401k. Uh, well, you're not contributing to your 401k. You're saving for, you're investing towards your retirement. That's purpose. Saving in your 401k is not purposeful. And even that is a little bit, saving for your retirement is a little bit uh, esoteric for me, a little bit vague in that when I first learned the word retirement, I thought it just meant you stopped working, but I, I didn't really realize that you had enough wealth 
so you could continue to fund your life at the same level and not work. Yeah. And so, so I, so, I think of it this way. I think of retirement. So like saving for retirement means saving for an annual income that you no longer have to earn. Yeah. Or, or saving uh, enough money to where when you're done with working, like when this stops becoming enjoyable to me, I don't want to have to keep doing it because I need money to do it. Like I want to have the opportunity to say, you know what, I want to do. I want to go work for a nonprofit and make a lot less than I'm making now, but I'm enjoying it, and I don't have to worry about income. That's what I'm saving for. And what kind of? So then I'd I'd need to attach a dollar amount to that. Like what kind of money would I need access to annually? Now I'm not asking you to yeah. to answer the question for me. I'm just throwing it out there. This is what this is what I would need on yeah. my goal statement. Is what kind of money annually would I need to be able to do that? It's and this is why, this is why you, you, uh, this is why I, I believe wholeheartedly, obviously I'm, I'm a little biased, but I believe wholeheartedly that every individual at some point in their life, whether they work ongoing with the financial planner, but every individual should spend uh, some money at least one time meeting with the financial advisor to set that number, to have a vision and a goal to save towards for those long-term savings. So before you even open an account, before you really get started, understanding what you're saving toward in yeah. all those different categories. Yeah. I, mean, I think it's a big um, part. What else? What else help help couples, families save? You also, we heard one of our listeners talk about this idea of budgeting. They even talked about mm -hmm. reviewing the budget. So budget is kind of one of those cringy words. Like you hear, it's like, oh, and, and you know, everyone, it's again, it's one of those things that, I rarely speak to someone who says that they don't need a budget. Most people I talk to is like, oh, yeah, you know, I just got to get around to that. So it's something that they know that they need to do. But again, it's purposeful. The point of a budget isn't to restrict you. The point of a budget is to allow you to live, to spend your money without without regret, without um, without fear, because you know you've allocated the right amount of money to different expenditures. So I think having a budget or a spending, think of it as a spending plan. Yeah. I, I'm making a decision on spending this money before I earn it. For example, I sat down and I have deemed one of my values is philanthropy. So therefore, at some point in the future, I want to be able to stop earning the income that I'm working and go work for a lot less to work for a nonprofit. Okay? I've deemed that a value. For me to be able to do that, um, I need to save X amount of dollars. Okay, cool. For me to save X amount of dollars, I need to start putting away Y today, this much money today. Okay, so now I've got, I've got the makings of a small budget for this one part of my life. So if I need to put away $250 a paycheck or $500 a paycheck because I want to fund something that's valuable to me, then that that's a budget right there. I'm making the yeah. decision on spending that money or saving it before I actually receive it. So now when the money comes into my bank account, I've already made that decision. It's a whole lot easier for me when I see that uh, that really slick ad to buy something that I really want, for like you know that new iWatch, uh, that stainless steel, space gray, Nike edition iWatch, uh, um, um, Apple Watch, when I see that, and I said, you know what? Wait a minute. That five hundred dollars is allocated towards 
my philanthropy or, or towards this specific thing. I want that, but not with this money. Yeah. Yeah. I've already, uh, because I've, I've planned that out. I've already allocated that money. I've spent that money in essence already. And we do that. We do that with other aspects of our life. Not that that's just one little small thing. Yeah. I but love that. Listen, plan. What the, the listener that you're referring to, you know, he opened up by saying, uh, in this year, 2020, when, when the wheels fell off, yep. we went back to our plan. We went back to the plan. We had a plan. We went back to the plan. We stuck to the plan. Yeah. Like, wow. That must feel really nice to have a plan. Yeah. It's, it's you know, uh, <laughs> Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson just, I don't, did you see that fight, Mike Tyson? And, um, I, I did not see it. I read a little bit about it, but so his, I think, I his think famous Tyson, quote. Yeah. His famous quote is, everyone's got a plan until they're punched in the face. Yeah. Right. Uh, 2020 punch some people in the face, punch some people in the face, but that one listener had a plan to go back to. So he did have a plan. Had a plan. So kind of in, 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 let's keep this, let's keep this idea going that I've allocated this money. Okay. Yeah. And I really, I know myself and I can be tempted really easy, right? We go back to this idea of why is it hard to save? Cause man, we are, I don't know the number like 27,000 yeah. ads per day that we're hit with some, some absurd number of advertisements our impulse yeah in, inhibition control impulse control is being highly influenced Tested. and attacked by and, ads and uh you know we, we talked about habits and you know sometimes um sometimes self-control is really good in in short-term spurts but as like a long-term habit it's very difficult so if i'm constantly being tempted to spend money uh, it's gonna be really eventually i'm gonna give in all right, so I've got this spending plan. I've got this purpose and this value that I'm trying to fund, but I'm going to further protect myself because I know myself. And what I'm going to do is I'm not even going to give myself the option to spend that money on something that I'm going to regret. So I'm going to automate my savings. Hmm. So the second, or I might even go to my payroll provider, my, my company, and say, hey, look, um, can you pay me into two separate accounts? Yeah. So I might, I might, and, and most can. So I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even going to give myself the opportunity to spend that money because it's automatically going into my savings account for me. I don't even have to make the decision. I've automated it. I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah. I love that. That, uh, you know, I, I told you that story about my kids putting money in their retirement account. The, the reason they can do that so easily is because we set it up automatically. So they don't even, at this point, they don't even think that much about it. Once, you know, once uh, every couple months, they might say, hey, dad, how much is in that account now? Or maybe once a year, they don't regularly think about it. So it, it happens much easier. So automate your savings is a, is a good tip. And check this out. Most people can do this. If you participate in a 401k, most, especially big plans, give you this option. Automate your annual increase. So on an annual basis, I want to increase my contribution by 3%. So if I'm doing $100 a paycheck, then next year it's going to be $103 a paycheck. And then the next year it's going to be 3% or 103% of $103, whatever. It's going to be $106.50. So now I'm scheduling automatic increases. Chances are you might make more money, right? You might get pay raises, but most people forget to increase their contributions. Uh -huh. Or I might be doing 5% of my income and I eventually want to get to 7% or 10% of my income. Uh, so yeah. you can automate those increases. Nice. What is that in investment, uh, reinvesting the dividend? Is that a, a kind of automated saving? I mean, sure. 
Sure. So we know when retirement plans, typically dividends are being reinvested into that, into that, whatever most cases is going to be a mutual fund. They're being reinvested in a regular investment account. You have the option to take them or to reinvest them. So it absolutely could be a, um, a form of savings. But, um, kind of back to short-term savings, you could even automate that emergency fund. You could, you could set yourself up as a bill pay or, tr- or an automatic transfer to your, your savings account. Yeah. I, I, even better. Like I would go to your payroll provider and go to HR and say, Hey, can you, um, pay me in two different yeah. accounts? Especially if, if discipline is hard for you, that's something yeah. that I would do in a heartbeat. Yeah, we, we did that years ago with one of our, um, direct deposit, uh, incomes. It just, part of it goes into our checking account. Part of it goes into our savings account. We rarely even think about it. Yep. And it, it's, it's so nice that it's there. We I've got two accounts and we'll talk about this in another, another episode, but I've got two accounts that one is for my fixed expenses that are automatic. And then my other ones for my variable expenses, the expenses that change from, from mm-hmm. month to month. I don't want to have to think about my mortgage payment or my insurance payment or, um, the, the, you know, the alarm payment or my cell phone bill, like those are automatic. They don't change. I know exactly what they are. And I've got that amount going into that account. So I don't have to think about them. We need to do an episode on, on like contemporary modern American ways to pay your bills. We should. should. I love it. We should. What else, what else will help families, couples, individuals save? I think, I think a big one, and we talk about this all the time is we have to be accountable to somebody, to something, uh, no one, you know, we, 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 we kind of want to be the, the captains of our own ship. I don't want anyone to tell me what to do or how to do it. I want to do what I, I deserve that I worked hard, but I think we need to share our plans with someone, um, whether you you're married and it's your spouse and you just happen to be able to communicate well on money, which doesn't always happen. Um, that could be accountability. That's where, uh, sometimes a financial coach, not all financial advisors do it. We do some kind of budgeting and, and, and that type of stuff. It's not the, it's not typical per se, but if clients, uh, if we're keeping clients accountable to save a certain amount into an account or something along those lines, we absolutely do that, but got to be accountable to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and that budget is something that you can be accountable to. Like the budget is a tool of accountability. Did I save what I wanted to save this month? Did I overspend on, um, groceries or eating out, you know, did I, did I buy too much beer? Um, and you can hold it up to your budget and you know, that your spending plan and that that's a tool for accountability. So accountability is, is huge. You got to say it out loud, share it with someone and ask them to, to ask you even, even it's like, Hey, uh, Hey Matt, how, um, how are you doing on, you know, I know last month you told me you were spending too much eating out. How'd, how'd that go? Oh, yeah. dude, it was great. We, you know what we simple, we just went out one time less a month and golly, we freed up 350 bucks. It's amazing. Just knowing that you're going to be asked that question could go a long way. Yeah. So have either someone that you're accountable to. It could be your spouse. And interestingly, uh, I, I talk to couples all the time where they're not very open with each other about their spending and their budgeting and their savings. So they, they don't hold each other accountable because they don't allow each other to. We don't recommend that. That's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, but being accountable to someone, be it your spouse or a friend or a professional or a coach or your accountant or a bookkeeper, somebody that is able to say, I know what your goal is. How you doing? Yep. Like, like you said earlier, um, it's a skill saving 
is spending it as well. It's a skill that you need to work on. And if you deem, if you deem that purpose or that thing you're saving towards important, it's worth doing it poorly, or it's worth starting out really small to get good at it. Mm-hmm. Right? I know, for example, um, what passion you're something that you really want to be able to do is learn Spanish. Yeah. Right. See. Si. Um, but if you said, man, like I, I'm not good at it, so I'm not even going to try. You're never going to learn. But it's worth you butchering the language, struggling through it to be able to get it, to learn it, to be able to speak it, to become fluent in it. And then it becomes easy and it becomes a skill. Yeah. One day, man, I'm, we're, we'll do a, we'll a, do a show in Spanish. Spanish. One, one day. Give one I've, 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 I've uh, regressed some, but one day. As we're wrapping up today, man, this is a, such an important topic. Spending is pretty easy for most of us. Saving is harder. I love your ideas about making saving easier. What are what are the final thoughts that you have uh, about savings? What what can you leave our listeners with? Yeah, um, three things. Three things. This this is more of a summary. Number one, pay yourself first. It's kind of cliche. This idea is before I pay Verizon, before I pay Ford, before I pay Capital One interest on my credit card, I'm going to pay Eric Garcia first. So pay yourself first. Um, Number two, no amount of savings is too small, right? Start small if you have to. $10 a month is saving. You're working that muscle. $15 a month is saving. $10 $10 a week, $15 a week, start small, um, build that habit. It becomes easier as you go. And then uh, finally, um, accountability. You, you got to be accountable to somebody or you got to be accountable to a vision or a goal that you deem important. And it's always easier to have someone keep you accountable to working towards that goal. That's why I like um, you know, having a physical person ask you these questions but um, accountability is where it is at. Man, you know, we started this uh, episode with appreciation, and I, I just want to say I really appreciate you, your wisdom on all of these topics, man. You're, you, you, you talk about this stuff with such ease and expertise and accessibility. I mean, you make it sound like anybody could do it, and so I, I really appreciate that about you. Saving is not easy for everyone, um, but you make it sound like we can all do it. And I appreciate that. Anyone can save. And I'm really excited to hear you talk about marriage and answering the question, is it a straitjacket? Yeah, I'm excited about that too. This is the Building Us podcast, all about relationships, where we encourage all of you and all of us to invest in your relationships. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.